0: Welcome to the Barbell Nerds Podcast. My name is Sean Jovo, my co-host Will Rattel. We're joined today by the Michael Chapman of Stanford University. Mike, thank you so much for spending the time with us today, man. Thanks for having me, man. Glad to be here with you guys. Absolutely. Uh, Mike Chapman is the Associate Sport Performance Coach for Men's Basketball at Stanford University. I've known Mike for quite some time. I wanted to apologize to him again because I turned down an opportunity to intern under you up at Michigan and if I wouldn't have if I would have done it I probably wouldn't have met my wife. So I'm, pretty, I'm happy I passed, but at the same time that would have been a pretty cool opportunity. Uh so again, I've said this before but I apologize for
1: turning that down. Hey nothing's more important to family. So if that worked out, that's way better than some girls, man. <laughs> Very cool. Mike, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, kinda of how you got out to Stanford, your many stops along the way. Yeah, yeah. So I'm from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Um a lot of strength conditioning coaches come out of that, that out of that area. Um so I came through a uh, Coach Hatch, Gil Hatch, coaching tree. Um I spent a little time <laughs> all over the place. So, um probably our most impactful stop style would have to be, I would have to say I probably, you know, spending three years of Coach Hatch, like working hand in hand with him. He really taught me the art of coaching. Um, you know, he's known for coaching the lifts, right? but the way he handles his athletes, how he goes about it, how he teaches, like the investment he has in you when you're actually in his program, really meant a lot to me. Um, And, uh, I mean, I'm forever grateful for him for giving me the opportunity. You know, it's funny, I sent out uh, like 107 emails and three guys responded. And one guy connected me to another guy, sent me to Coach Hatch. And um, from that point on, I've been hooked, man. I mean, I started there. Uh, one day, he got my internship the next week. <laughs> and so I'll intern at at a, a, a Southeastern Louisiana from, I'd probably say about 10 to about 2. Then I drive 45 minutes down to Baton Rouge. And I intern with Coach Ash from 4 to 8 p.m. every night. And he out coached uh, anywhere from 12-year-olds, to people who are 50 years old, doing the o And And um, after that, he sit me down and we had some skull sessions. He'd talk to me and teach me about life and money and how to coach and how to get the most out of, it, out of my athletes. Uh, from there, we um, stopped at LSU to be there and I got to see Coach Moffitt do his thing. That was how to run a room, how to do that stuff. and. I would say those two men are have given me the basis for what I do now. Um, You know how to teach, how to run my room, and then from there, it's been so many other stops. In fact, it's obnoxious to talk about all of them. But I've been, you know, I left there, and I've been, you know, I've been to a lot of schools with a lot of logos. And um, I think what I've learned over my time is that the logos don't mean as much. I've been grateful and blessed to have some amazing mentors. Whether it's uh, John Sanderson or Todd Wright or um, I learned some basic Carlos Fingers, um, Emil Gant. I've worked for quality people who let me get in there, get my hands dirty, make some mistakes. And they let me hear about the mistakes for sure. But I think that's how we learn, you know, and they let me be me. They didn't ask me to be anyone else but me. Uh, Fitz was huge for me. I mean, talk about when Fitz hired me, he told me, yo, when you would to throw you the keys and you go to work. You know, I walked in the door, he threw me the keys and I went straight to work. And so like you don't that got- don't happen that don't happen anymore, you know what I mean? Like people don't get those opportunities like that anymore. So I'm extremely grateful and blessed for those for those for those men and women who've been so impactful to me along my way.
0: Very cool. Yeah, I know um, I, I was lucky enough to intern under you for a little bit or a small period of time. And you've always made a huge impact on me just based off, like you said, the presence of the weight room. The, uh, you always had a demeanor around you. You always had a goal of the day or what you wanted to accomplish for your teams. And that was one of the first things that you had mentioned when we were in our intern meetings way back long ago. Um, and everyone always everyone talks about like how to do core lifts, how to do the deadlift, the squat, everything like that. But you kind of said, you taught us how to coach, how to feel out the room, how to make adjustments and how to just own the environment. And um, how has that, how has throughout the multiple stops that you've had, has that kind of your principles or your philosophies on that, has that evolved obviously from team to team, but like what has been your biggest challenge or what team, what sport, what has been your biggest challenge in doing so?
1: I think my biggest challenge has been working such a large variety of sports. I've worked 25 plus sports to date. I mean, everything from fencing to high level football to high level basketball to, I mean, field hockey. And um, I think the more sports you work with, the better coach you are. In In a world where everybody wants to be a guy. I'm a this guy and that guy. Yeah, yeah. I'm just a strength coach. I haven't worked with basketball. I don't call me a basketball guy. You know, uh, I love my field hockey athletes. Women's ice hockey is one of my favorite sports. Volleyball is by far one of my favorite sports. I love the game of basketball. I love that too. Um, but you know, my philosophy and everything I do starts with the culture first. And uh, you know, people talk about culture and this and that and all that stuff. And you know. you people can say oh yeah you know they don't care how much you know it's they know how much you care at the first when you first come in it's about getting results early and that's what gets that gets that's what gets to buy and I, i come in and i evaluate and the first week i do what i call how to work and how to work as in how to go about the room, how to change the plates, how to load the plates, how to move around the room. And I don't care about anything else other than that, that first week, because everything else we're doing is so simple in the way room. And the second week I call, we start, I actual work. And I start to get my technical proficiency and my general, my GPP stuff. And I start to lay down the foundation for I'm going programming wise. But, but I, that culture stuff is, is, the, is the thing that drives my program. Um, one thing you'll see with my programming is super simple. Uh, my movement stuff looks complex. I promise you, it's not. It's so simple. But one thing you also see is they go get maximal intent. If they don't give it to me I'll take it. Like that's the one thing I'm never gonna settle. I don't need. I don't need a ten dollar to, to see bar speed. I know what that looks like. I know how to get it from them, and I'm gonna coach positions and get that from them. And that's non-negotiable. And so what I find, if you can simplify your programming and demand great effort and intent, it's hard not to get better with whatever you're doing if your rep schemes and your loading is proper.
2: Yeah. Um, one of the principles you talked about with uh, Jay um was that position dictates the loads. And I would just love to hear you elaborate on that, how that principle really applies with the athletes that you're working with.
1: Yeah, I mean, joint position does dictate load because I mean, you know, like I use this, this this pretty simple, really simple analogy and example. So if you go to lean down and pick up a piece of bread, you're just going to reach down and grab it, right? But if you're going to go and you're going to pick up or do a lunge and you reach down, you're going to brace a whole lot harder, you're going to be a lot more engaged and you're going to fire a little bit different. So you're going to pick up that dumbbell differently. And so we look at sport. Right. And you talk about your forces and you talk about mass momentum and control your body. If you can't be strong in different joint positions under, under the load, which is forces from whichever direction you're moving, you're going to really struggle with that. And so I try to simplify as much as, as I possibly can. Um, we do we do stuff that looks really ugly and funky and I don't care what people think. Because when they get in the game and they go in those positions where they're going, run out of bounds and they hit that that jump stop and they slide to that position and knees start to slide on their toe, we've been there. And one thing he says, how can you know they're safe there if you never trained them there? And that's one thing. We're going to get in every position. We're going to press up. We're going to press out. We're going to press back. We're going to do all the basics, but we're going to prepare tissue and fascia to be ready to move multi and also be able to handle the load they're going to go through hope that answered your question. I think I did.
2: Yeah, no, for sure. And then, yeah. um, sorry, Sean, I'm gonna, I got some more questions before you jumped in here. I've have uh, Yeah. So I saw you post on online about some of the body comp stuff you've done with your basketball players. How are you measuring that stuff? What have you seen? Um, what, what are you doing besides training? Like, are you talking to them about nutrition and how that affects the body comp? Um, just, yeah. Tell us a little bit about uh, the way you're going about measuring body comp with your athletes and how they're how they're receptive to it.
1: Yeah, yeah. So we do over my career I've done DEXA, I've done skin fold, um, we do the scale. Um, a lot of what we do is as simple as it may sound is pictures. <laughs> Like, okay. you know, like, you know, hey, like, yo, man, you're down 2%. He's like, cool, I still look fat. <laughs> so I'm like, no, nah, okay, let, let, let me show you some pictures, Let me show you some measurements. And, yeah, I do nutrition in a different way. You know, some people are like these food people. You're going to eat this, 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 this. I'm like, all right, man, this is what we're going to do. Come in here. Tell me what you like. All right, let's put carbs, fats, proteins, veggies, fruits, and the list. Okay, cool. All right, I'm not giving you a nutrition plan. This, this is what you tell me you like. This is what I want you to eat. This is how much i want you to eat of that okay and i said now let's do one let's have this deal i said one day you're gonna you're gonna the boss will stop boxing for you someday and you're gonna have to go into these business meetings and eat these meals and you're like i don't know what the hell this is so i want you to try one new food a month just try to expand your palate a little bit and that's how i do nutrition it's so simple i believe i'm from louisiana i believe food is cultural yeah, so, like, if you give me some bland, dry fish, it ain't happening, I need my Cajun seasoning, I need it to be creoled up, and I, I, attack, I attack food from from that angle. So, if I have a kid who's from the South, we're going to find foods that remind you of home. For if I have kids from us, we, we do, it, do, do it that way. It's pretty simple. I don't try to overcomplicate anything. Um, you know, uh, you'll hear me say, you hear people say, it's savagely simple, super, super simple. Um, i have a i have a cell phone that i use for the guys to contact me and they send all their meals to that phone so i see i say anything you consume send me a picture of it nothing you send me is gonna is gonna make me mad nothing you send me i haven't seen before so it's a very open honest relationship where they can feel comfortable to really be themselves and make mistakes and understand like hey if our goal was to lose 15 pounds and you gain three pounds next last the next week Mike's not going to be mad at you. we go work through it. And I think that's how I get it with my guys. And I'll be completely honest with you. Like, some people focus on body comp. Yo, I don't focus on it at all. I just educate them. And I look up in like eight months, I'm like, oh, shoot, they changed. I have, I promise you, it's not something. I'm more concerned about being able to handle forces and able to land and jump properly than I am with body comp. Now, all that stuff goes into, goes together. I'm not ignoring it. But my focus isn't that.
2: Yeah, I would I would imagine when you're showing the before and after pictures from eight months prior and they look a lot better, a lot more leaned out and maybe a little bit heavier with that uh, better muscle on them, that that's going to gain you some buy-in with the players. Have you found some of that too?
1: Yeah, uh, no doubt. I mean, um, uh, I'll give you an example. When I was at Southern Miss, I came in, first eight weeks coaches like, do whatever you want i grinded those dudes i mean i grind we were in the sand pit we left in like five six days a week eight weeks they'll see the pictures <laughs> whatever you wanted me to do i'll do they had the little they had the little little little, little uh, sun tan have out of the sun on the sand pit they looked they looked great they felt good yeah i mean that's where you get buy-in from when people can see and feel tangible results they'll come back for more so i found the kids that don't like them don't fight like they're getting better so sometimes you have to trick them into getting strong, or make them think they something they're not, so you get the results from them later on.
0: I like that a lot. I actually, I, I wrote down that nutrition is cultural piece because that's something I haven't really. I, I it always made sense to me. I never really heard someone actually like say it out loud. But that's really cool because looking at it from when I was trying to teach basketball players how to eat, I always just said, "Hey guys, just eat some vegetable." I don't care what vegetable, just eat some vegetable, but sitting down with them, talking about what they have eaten in the past, what mom made, like how can we relate it more to home? That is a piece that I think is very overlooked by a
1: lot of people and I'm really happy brought that up. Yeah, well, so one of my biggest victories here at Stanford was um, during the COVID time where the guys were home, uh, I talked to, we did like a nutrition Zoom and I got to hear from our parents. And they're like, we don't know what you did to our kids, but they're eating stuff we never thought to eat before. And I let them choose. It was that simple. I didn't do anything, at all. I let them choose. And I like, sometimes less is more. Mm-hmm.
0: I love it. That's really, really cool. It's a good, really good tool for your athletes, especially like you said, later in life when the ball stops down. Yeah, super cool. For sure, for sure. Uh, Will, do you have it? No, go ahead, man. I was just going to touch on a little bit with your time with uh, Coach Hatch and how you said how impactful of a man he was to you. Uh, Obviously, you've had a lot of mentors along the way, but singling out Coach Hatch, how was that time with you? Because in in my experience, a lot of people have not really gone from private sector coaching to collegiate or team strength and conditioning and look back and saying that private sector position is like the thing that, one of the things that made them who they are, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think early on in your career, everyone's labeled as having a talent or a gift while they get that job. You know somebody that, but there's like something you do good, right? So me coming from him, people saw me as a really good to teach and so get them done at a very, very, very high level. And so he taught me that Well, as he taught me that, he taught me so much other stuff. Because if you're teaching OLEFs to 12-year-old kids, you got to have some some very, very good communication skills. You have to have some very, very, very uh, unique ways. And you have to be able to teach one concept six or seven different ways and he would do that, and this is, this is, this is going to be star weird, but I, I tell, I've told this story before, like, there was this, like, my first method the Coach Hatches, and he asked me to coach, and so I have, like, this line of groups, the kids to coach, and I just wasn't talking, he's was like, all right, what's the wrong? go do that, come coach this in here, and use your voice, he literally made me, like, like, I learned how to use my voice with a broomstick, like, is it crazy, absolutely, but, like, when I look at it years now, like if anyone see me on the floor now, you would never think I'd have a problem. I had problems opening my mouth and using my voice. But like those lessons, those little things that he taught me, like, you know, this wasn't like one-on-one coaching. You're talking about, you know, 10 platforms lined up and you try to teach eight people how to clean and jerk and snatch it one day. You got to be very methodical and very, th- very, very detailed. When you're walking by, you know, I call, I tell my interns, you got to stick and move with your coach. What's the big thing you got to fix? You know, if, he, if, you, if you just move your ankles here, six degrees here and your hips there. You know, there's always a couple big things here that's going to make everything else line up. You learn know how to find your quick hitters real quick. So you got to stick and move in the weight room with me. Everybody gets, a, everybody gets a cue. Roll through, roll through, come back, give it to them again, roll through, roll through, give it back to them if they can't get it, regress them, then move them forward when they get ready. So, the, that environment was very fast paced. You're talking about, I mean, there were some days like, if I can, if I'm thinking, right, we had like maybe 16 platforms in there. Imagine having 16 platforms too deep and everyone's on a different programs. Because you have every every day had different every day had a different emphasis. So somebody was on Monday, which may have been your big O-lift day. So I may have been on Tuesday, which the big squat day. So I mean, you gotta be able to stick and move, have your head on a swivel, you know. And, and that is where I earned my stripes of being able to see a lot at one time, in my, in my opinion. Um, but then the bigger piece is, you know, when you finish that three and a half four hours of coaching and sitting in the office with someone. Going, with 40 years of experience. And he's talking about things that, you know, I had, at the time I thought were like groundbreaking, like, man, what is he talking about? And to get that feedback about how I did today, how to, how to implement this, if this happens next time, you should do this. It's really made my experience now to where I don't feel like I need a whole lot of time to get teach stuff and get it done. Cause I, I know how to get, I can get it done at a very, very uh, high level. Um, you know, I hear, hear about the OLAFs all the time and not worth the value because they're too hard to teach. I mean, Sean, so I, I, so I don't know if you would have when I taught field hockey how to clean, snatch, and jerk. Remember, it was like my first day. or first day of week two, we clean, snatch, jerk, front squat, military press, lunge, and hinge every day for four days. And then two weeks, we were good to go. Now, was the loads heavy? No. But I had time, that was my GPP work. And would I do that now? Probably, I probably wouldn't do that now. But the fact—it's not too hard if you know what you're doing.
2: Yeah, and you're you're using the Olympic lifts with the basketball guys that you're working with. Can you just talk about some of the strategies you use? Are you cleaning, jerking, and snatching them? And just maybe some of the progressions you've used. Um, like like Sean mentioned earlier, all three of us have worked with basketball at some point in our in our career. Um, I've tried it with them like some guys pick things up some guys don't Um, and right now we're not doing any just because of like the diversity of like training age and experience and the length of the guys and it's just logistically is not very easy for us and we only have 20 minutes some days Um, could you just talk about some of the strategies you use when you're teaching the Olympic lifts is it only off-season stuff is it both off-season and in-season just love to hear hear your thoughts on all that.
1: Yeah, so um, first of all, when I implement, implement Olympic lifts, when I get to a team, um, like I said, with a while ago, that would do everything at one time, right? So I, what I do now is if we're going to clean, I spend the first six months only focused on the clean, second six months only focused on the snatch. And I may progress from half kneeling uh, dumbbell press to military press to jerk over eight months. So that makes you have the mechanics and the positions to be able to handle that weight, um, that that weight, and that motion. Uh, but then we pull year round. We will clean pull, snatch pull year round. If you can't pull, you can't clean. I don't understand how people will clean and snatch and quit pulling. And they're like, oh, he can't get the weight. Well, you can't. If you can't pull it, you can't catch it. So the the rule I grew up with when I was lifting was, if you can't front squat, if you can front squat, you should be able to clean it. And that was our rule. So we pulled three times, four times a week sometimes. And then if you're over six, four, uh, you go off of, I think, three-inch blocks. If you're over like six, 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 seven, you're gonna go off five, five-inch blocks. And so, I, you know, and I've even got to the point not to, I don't care what position it is. As long as I'm getting that violent drive through the floor, I don't, it could be on, you could be above the knee. I just want that violent drive. But what I do love is, um, the force production, but also the force absorption of it, like triple extension, triple flexion, which is overload, is over, uh, very, uh, I think, underrated. People don't really respect it. Um, uh, so that's kind of my progression with the, with the OLFs. Uh It's pretty simple. Number one, it's how to. Number two is how fast. Number three how, is how much. Most of the time, college athletes don't need the how much if they get getting the how fast. And I think we get getting caught up in there. Like, so I'll have some kids who, We'll just, they'll pull and they'll clean and we'll just focus on that. And then over time, it's amazing how just watching bars, speed them out on that, they'll get much stronger. And then it just works out really well. Um, I do a ton of joint mobilizations and tissue, tissue stuff to make sure that we're flexible to do it. Uh, and I never put them in a position that they aren't prepared for. So we talked about joint position, joint position uh, dictating of muscle function. If he can't catch, if he can't get into a good front squat, he can't receive the bar properly. So he's kind of not going to like it because the movement feels unnatural. But when you can move cleanly and get in and out of your ankles, in and out of your hips, the movement feels much more natural. And so when things feel wrong, the guys don't want to do them. Usually, when someone's good at something, they want to do it. So I find very, very simple, simple progressions to get them there um the cool thing is a lot of times what i'll do is we'll all pull and then i'll start progressing one or two guys to the clean, and then the other guys see that guy you're like i want to do it too and then it comes like a thing here like you know uh, it happened here like three weeks ago it finally hit like i want to i want to clean too and so like i had you know i mean <laughs> all conference forward cleaning one of the best friends in the country is cleaning like and like that 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 that's in my culture. So now, when the young guys see that, they're like, "Man, I want to do it too." Like, now you're not at that stage that you got to wait a little while to get there. And so now it's like something you get to do as you go through the program. It's like a prize. Um, but I think there's so much value in the Olympic lifts that go beyond force production and force absorption. Uh, one thing I do that I think is maybe not unique or maybe is unique um, is I learn. I can tell how a kid learns, but how they learn clean. Is it kinesthetic, is he, a, is he, is he, a, is he, a, like, this new word? work? How does he learn? And I can say, Coach, hey, when you want to teach this guy something, if you say it to him, he's not going to get it. But if you show it to him, he'll be able to get it. And so I can give Coach feedback on how that person learns. Also, you know, most kids who pull weak aren't very strong or they're kind of soft. And so, you know, we teach them violent pulls. We teach that. And so it kind of gives me an idea of the aggression level and how and to see that kind of grow over time as well just some couple of intangible things you know.
2: yeah i love the part that you talked about the uh, the force absorption um portion of the cleans because i think that's the most underrated point too um because i i think the most important part of a clean that kind of gets overlooked is the ability to produce force into an object only to have that object uh produce force right back into you in a millisecond and being able to brace and absorb that force and then redirect that bar again. Um, so yeah, like I, I'm a huge proponent of them. I haven't been able to be super successful with them, with my basketball players. Um, that's something that I really want to get back into, um, at some point with them, maybe in the off season Mm -hmm. and start teaching it again. Um, but yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more with your assessment of all that stuff.
1: The, the lifts are, the lifts are something that are near and dear to me because that's where I started. Now, don't get me wrong, the lifts are not the end all be all to it. We throw stuff, we sprint, we jump, we lift, we do it all. But I think I think any, you know, it's funny uh, when people say, oh, I don't believe in that. This ain't about what you believe, it's about what works. So, you, you know, you just, you can't tell me that a 20-pound medicine ball throws the same as a 275-pound clean. It's just, you just can't convince me of that. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the science says that it is. But the way I train, I'm not so much worried about what everyone's telling me to do as opposed to what I know works and what I've seen work in my career.
0: I like that. Have you used, and uh, I'm going to get into the sciencey things a little bit, have you been looking at specific, uh, whether it be force plate or any sort of, Uh, force production KPIs when you are comparing uh, your snatch pulls, clean pulls, uh, catches, anything like that, like you look at those KPIs and how they progress over freshman to senior year?
1: Yeah, so the one thing that I haven't had ability to have access to force plates until recently when I got here. So that is something I am actually currently looking into adding into our program and trying to figure out how to use it properly. Um, so a lot of stuff I've been doing just being doing is just like RSI and things of that nature, just kind of get an idea of how we're doing and where we are. But I am looking forward to having those, the, that, the, the force plates to give me a more complete view of what's going on with in, in more detail. so uh
2: i know we're starting to wrap up a little bit on time so i got one kind of last question on my part before sean gets to his yeah. um at the top of this you you mentioned about making mistakes and learning from your mistakes could you just share maybe one or two mistakes that you've made in the profession in the past that you've really learned from and made some strides to improve yourself on
1: yeah i think one thing that uh, my biggest mistake early on was trying to know everything and and like, hey, I know so and so and so. Nah, now I'm like, yo, I don't know, but I find the answer. But I think I've done a unique, I took a taken a unique approach to studying. So you know, every year I'll take something and study it. So I took one year and studied just speed development, and that's all I looked at. One year of strength development. One year it was movement. Year year before last, it was energy system development, and I just took every day until thirty to forty minutes just really dig into that particular subject matter. Um, and that has given me ability to kind of be a little more diverse in my approach, have a true understanding of what I'm doing so I can get the, get the results and elicit the responses that I'm looking for. Um, you know, the, the biggest mistake that I did early on was I didn't believe in myself. And you have to understand that you are enough that you can get the job done. And it's not about knowing everything, but it's about the stuff you do know, knowing the in and out and being able to execute it at a high level.
0: Very well said. Very, very well said. Well, Mike, uh, as the times running down, uh, we have one last question we'd like to ask everyone. Yeah. Um, you've had, you've clearly had a lot of mentors. We've talked about a bunch of them and they're very visible in your own coaching, programming, everything like that. Um, and I hope that's a very, a very good compliment because I've tried to model a lot of my stuff that I see you do. Uh, but if you could recommend anyone else that we reach out to, uh, any one specific person, to get on our podcast, who would you recommend?
1: Uh, There's a guy, my, my former assistant at Towson, Aaron Draney. Okay, uh, yep. Uh, he's at Towson right now, right? He's a, he's a director now. He's real dude is super smart. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I'm not going to sit and act like that. I, like, I'm this guru. Every program I write, I probably took the Cam Davidson and, and Aaron to rip apart so I can get some ideas about it. And I get great feedback from him and I bounce ideas off him all the time. And uh, extremely like I call him Doctor Drady. He's so smart. I mean, dude, he's 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 gonna be a rock star pretty soon.
2: I'm sure Cam was a great mentor. We had we had Cam on um, probably a couple months ago. He was awesome to talk to.
1: Yeah, we shared an office. It was a very very lively environment. <laughs> dude,
0: that was such a fun. That was such a fun office. You you me Cam Justin Cassidy, dude. That was yeah, such yeah. a great experience. Uh, but yeah. man, Mike, thank you so much for the time, dude. I know, like I said, we're on the road, so, um, it was cool. It was cool to say we were able to sit down and get this done for sure. For any time, any time, man. Appreciate Thanks it, Mike. So much, man. Have a good yeah. night. All right. Take, Take care. care.